0: security forces killed 12 Mexicans and Egyptians and injured 10 by accident on Monday. This in an attack after mistaking a tourist convoy for militants they were pursuing in the country's western desert. The tourist group of 22 had parked their 4x4 vehicle of road for a barbecue near the Baharia Oasis, a tourist site in the western desert, when army aircraft suddenly began attacking them. Officials at the company that organized the tour were not immediately available for comments. Two military commanders that deserted South Sudan rebel leader Riek Machar, after he signed a peace deal agreement with President Salva Kir have formed their own rebel group to fight their leader and Kir's forces. This dramatic move comes at a time when the people of South Sudan are eagerly waiting for the formation of a government of national unity in November this year. James Shimanyula has more.
1: The military commanders that have defected from rebel leader Riek Machar are General Peter Gadet and General Gad Hoth The commanders accused Riek Machar of fronting them to fight in the bush, while he himself, as they put it, sits comfortably in an ivory tower in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, confirming that indeed they have defected from rebel leader Riek Machar. Commander Gat Hoth on behalf of of his colleague said,
2: We break away from
3: Riyadh Mashar. We're now fighting in Apana State, fighting the government and fighting
4: Riyadh Mashar.
0: A major opposition party in Niger has chosen its exile leader, former parliamentary speaker Hama Amadou, to challenge President Mohamedou Isufu in next year's elections as candidate in the presidential elections in 2016. The Nigerian democratic movement announced after Ali in the southern town of Zinde. Amadou fled to France in August 2014 after members of parliament lifted his immunity for alleged involvement in a baby smuggling scandal. Zimbabwe is witnessing increased political activity with the launch of new political parties three years before the scheduled 2018 polls. Some of the parties that emerged in recent weeks include the Renewal Democrats of Zimbabwe and the People's Democratic Party, led by former MDCT stalwarts Elton Mangoma and Tendai P. T. respectively. United States-based Maxwell Zeb Shumba is also set to launch his own party, ZimFirst, while former Vice President Joyce has since released her people for her, her her people first manifesto. More from Dr. Webster Zambara from the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation in Cape Town, South Africa.
3: There are three things that um, would make it imperative that politicians become hyperactive. President Mugabe is now very old. He is turning 92 in February, and uh, in those circumstances, people would want to look at uh, the situation in Zimbabwe beyond him, and that is quite linked also to lack of a clear succession plan in Zarupiev, by his party, as well as in Zimbabwe. So the speculations and stakes would be very high.
0: And finally, d'Ivoire's President Alassane Ouattara is calling on his supporters to forgive their political opponents. He is also urging them to mobilize for upcoming presidential elections in which he is seeking a second term. Ouattara seeks a second term on the strength of nations' economic comeback after the violence five years ago, triggered by former President Laurent Gbagbo's refusal to step down and acknowledge Ouattara's victory at the polls. Last week, clashes erupted at anti otara protests by opposition groups and one person was killed the first major outbreak of violence ahead of the vote on october 25 channel africa news i am on a
5: It's 1905 Central African time. Thank you very much on LF for that update. Now Zimbabwe is slowly migrating into a scary political landscape as popular political parties gear up for elections more than two years ahead of time. Over the weekend, a new political party, People Democratic Party, was born out of the main opposition movement for democratic change, whilst... On one end, the ruling party was in a panic mood. Following the announcement by ousted Vice President Joyce Mujuru that she could form an opposition political party, Mugabe is said to be paranoid. This forced him to reshuffle his cabinet for the third time in nine months in a move regarded as unprecedented for the 19-year-old leader. Simon Muchema reports from Harare.
6: There was joy, pomp, and wild celebrations in the Zimbabwean capital Harare over the weekend following the birth of a new political party, People's Democratic Party. PDP was born out of the main opposition movement for democratic change, the strongest opposition since independence in 1918. Activists who were formerly MDC, decided to form their own political party, PDP, in their quest to topple 91-year-old President Robert Mugabe, who has been at the helm of the country since 1980. Formation of the new political party, PDP, placed Zimbabwe into the election mood as other parties began repositioning themselves. Meanwhile, PDP, is led by former finance minister Tendai Biti, who left MDC in a half, accusing Morgan Changrai of running short of ideas. However, Zimbabwean elections would be interesting. SBT says he would not be contesting in the 2018 polls against Mugabe.
7: Those who know me will know that uh, I'm a very reluctant uh, president. I've taken this uh, very reluctantly. Uh, And if I had my way, I wouldn't have done this. Uh, But history has bestowed this uh, upon me. I've said publicly that I've done my part. Uh, I've contributed, but unfortunately, the transition has been arrested. Uh, Unfortunately, we have to finish what we started. I had uh, fantastic offers from outside the country, but I went and came back because I won't feel right uh, staying in a five-star apartment in in maryland when uh, people are suffering uh, here so we have to finish what we have uh, started and one of the things that we have defined in this constitution is that we are putting limited terms of office and the party president is not the presidential uh, candidate i have put that uh, as the person who is writing that uh, constitution
6: It, however said zimbabweans are in a 35 year prison term and are striving for liberty
7: the biggest challenge or for every Zimbabwean right now, is number one. How do we get out of this danger? How do we get out of this prison brought about by 35 years of ZANU-PFA misrule? So to me, it's very simple. We have to come together. Uh, As uh, Zimbabweans, there has to be convergence. We have to come together as opposition political parties. So we will strive to ensure that that coalition will be built uh we are very strong as a movement in terms of ideas and policies you've seen the policies that we've written and crafted arrest uh, hope we are already right now as i'm speaking crafting a 40-year vision for zimbabwe called ideas so we are very strong so we will occupy that niche so that we can give ideas to the opposition movement that can take our country forward so we're very clear number one let's create a coalition of winners. Let's create a coalition of champions.
6: The new PDP president said Zimbabweans long for peace and happiness.
7: So it's not about power, it's about the pursuit of happiness. We just want to be free. We just want to to, to, to follow our dreams. Before ZANU-PF messed up, I was a young, vibrant lawyer. We used to party, go to nightclubs and so forth. But once the struggle came, I couldn't. I long for that, that life, uh, which is why I said all we want is that Zimbabwe that can give opportunities to young people like you. Your generation is going to die without a home. You're not going to be able to have a, a roof, even a house in in Kwazana in, in Extension. And that's not good enough. You know, that's not good enough. So uh, I know my historical mission, and my historical mission is to provide a cutting edge to this struggle.
6: Meanwhile, on one end of the capital. Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe appeared to be in a panic mode and in an unprecedented move reshuffled his cabinet for the third time in nine months. Mugabe brought in new faces in what analysts say he is now paranoid following intentions shown by the ousted Vice President Joyce Mujuru to form a new opposition party. This could unsettle the ruling ZANU-PF as the nation gets into the election mode two years ahead of the pause in twenty eighteen.
1: Uh, in terms of Section one oh four, subsection one of the Constitution of uh, Zimbabwe Amendment number twenty of twenty thirteen, his excellency the President, Comrade Ara Jim Gabe has made the following ministerial appointments. Honourable Joram MacDonald Gumbo is the new Minister of Transport and Infrastructural Development. Honorable Abed Nigo Nude, who is still to be sworn in, is the Minister of Rural Development and the Preservation of National Cultural Heritage. Honorable Makosine Tlongwani, Minister Without Portfolio. Patrick Joao, Minister of Youth, Indigenization
6: and Economic Empowerment. That was Secretary in the President's Office, Dr. Mishek Sibanda, announcing the new cabinet on friday reporting for channel africa in harare zimbabwe this is simon muchema
5: for more analysis of this development channel africa spoke to dr webster Zambara from the institute for justice and reconciliation in cape town south africa
3: there are three things that um, would make it imperative that politicians become hyperactive first president mugabe is now very old he is turning 92 in february and uh, in those circumstances People would want to look at uh, the situation in Zimbabwe beyond him. And that is quite linked also to lack of a clear succession plan in Zaru PF, his party, as well as in Zimbabwe. So the speculations and stakes would be very high. Added to that is the situation that there's grinding poverty in Zimbabwe, and politicians would like to take the moment and seize the moment to offer themselves as uh, parties that may give hope to the people because so far since Mm -hmm. uh, the re-election in 2018, the situation on the economic front has Mm -hmm. not improved in Zimbabwe at all.
8: Now, looking at the political climate in Zimbabwe right now, Doctor, in your view, is there actual room for um, uh, more political formations?
3: Well, that is probably uh, a huge question because it seems we are seeing more and more political parties being formed but it also entails that uh, there's not been a, a strong movement in recent years we have seen splits in the mdc and even splits of the splits and zanu uh, pf itself has split and in that conundrum This this movement uh, on the political front to try to capture the moment and to offer oneself as a formidable mode. And uh, considering the the, the removal of uh, Vice President Joyce Mujuru has been quiet for quite some time. I think... This is her time to show that she is politically relevant. So we saw her launching a build a blueprint, an economic blueprint, which has since been um, uh, linked to, I mean, ZANU-PF has criticized it as very close to MDC. But, uh, also, we have seen some members of, always um, sacked by ZANU-PF uh, as part of Mujuru, addressing Morgan changirai's MDC rallies on Saturday. We saw Temba Mliswa, Zanub, former ZANU-PF chairperson for Mashona Land West, addressing uh, a, a, an MDC rally. We also saw a uh, week earlier, Jaulani Svanda, the former leader of the war veterans, addressing the 10 diabetes uh, party. So these are, there's a lot of movement happening, mm. but the question will be who will be able to capture uh, all the, the, the egos of politicians Uh, be calmed down so that they can coalesce around one person. We are getting into interesting times three years ahead of an election.
8: After having touched on those splits and the splits within the splits, the question um, um, that we'd like to know is you know, the MDC was a major opposition in Zimbabwe. Mm. Is this still the case in your view?
3: It's uh, still a bit too early to tell but it would seem that Morgan Trangirai still holds the fort in terms of opposition politics in Mm. Zimbabwe, Mm. even though he has lost some of his lieutenants. Mm. So we are yet to see what is going to happen in the next few months, if there will be successful negotiations for a coalition, because the talks have been there, but just like before, we have seen talks around coalition collapsing even at last minute. Mm -hmm. If you recall, just before the 2008 elections, where Changrai and Walsh is um, a former Secretary General, were in talks until the last minute, and those talks were abandoned. There are people who believe that if those talks had been successful, Morgan Changre would have beaten uh, Robert Mugabe outrightly in 2008. Mm. But uh, these are only ifs after uh, the failing to to, to negotiate properly. So the issue of egos and the issue of who is going to take what is going to show us the true character of this opposition political parties emerging. Because more often than not politicians are quite um, egotistic people. Mm. We want to see who will be the the leader who they will coalesce around. So we are getting into very interesting times yet we are still three years uh, before an election.
8: And on that note of it just being, you know, a full three years before elections, won't this lead, uh, this campaigning, you know, um, and, uh, three years in advance, almost lead to a uh, voter fatigue? And um, um, just a second leg to that question, do you believe that uh, some of these uh, parties will be able to unseat uh, ZANU-PF?
3: I think politicians are found in a catch 22 situation in that regard. If you are quiet, people will wonder whether you are still relevant or not. And if you are very active, well, ahead of time, uh, people may, f- uh, the issue of voter fatigue may come in, and I think Zimbabwe has experienced that. However, uh, if you look at the activities right now, it's a- an issue of people offering uh, blueprints and policy issues and the like. This, I think, is a, a situation where people want to offer alternatives to zanu Pf ZIM assets, uh, which... People are criticizing as a failure so far. Mm. Uh, yet, uh, on the other hand, the ZANU PF government would like to claim some uh, successes from its own political uh, economic blueprint. What it entails is that we are getting. We are now in a situation where people are probing the voters to try to woo voters to their side. The question now will come: Who will win new voters?
5: That is Dr. Webster Zambara from the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation in Cape Town, South Africa, talking to my colleague Mr. Misoela today.
1: Channel Africa, Blantyre.
9: This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa
7: from Freetown.
6: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting
7: for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinsaka. In Yawundi.
1: From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa.
11: <laughs> 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 in in <laughs> Lesotho.
6: Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwai <laughs> in Nairobi.
1: Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. <laughs>
5: Your time is 1919 Central African time so right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Spomela Lezondi and I'm going to be with you until 20 hundred hours this evening. Now, European Union or EU interior ministers are meeting in Brussels, Belgium for an emergency meeting around the region's worst modern refugee crisis. The extraordinary meeting follows announcements by the European Commission last week about proposals to distribute 160,000 migrants throughout the member nations. This call of obligatory sharing of refugees across at least 22 countries has, however, been met with mixed feelings amongst leaders on the bloc. Meanwhile, the global rights group, Feminist International, has demanded an overhaul of EU's asylum system to ensure safe passages to the continent for people in need of protection and to end the suffering of those who do eventually make it to the Union. Acting Director of Feminist International's European Institutions Office, Ivana McGowan, elaborates.
12: Unfortunately, it's all too similar. We have seen this issue coming back on the agenda time and time again. However, the lack of leadership being shown and the lack of decisiveness in terms of a long-term human rights compliance solution means that the issue keeps coming back on the agenda. Now, earlier this year in April, it was more firmly looking at the deaths in the Mediterranean Sea, the search and rescue mission. At that time, Amnesty International underpinned, yes, it's very good to have the search and rescue operation in the sea, However, the root cause of the problem, of course, is the lack of safe and legal routes into the European Union. And as long as there is refusal to address that issue, this agenda item will unfortunately keep coming back.
5: So, what, what's on the agenda?
12: So on the agenda is primarily what the European Commission had proposed last week. So there's a number of items. First of all there is the idea of relocating 160,000 um, asylum seekers who've arrived in the European Union so to move them to other countries. Now whilst it's evident that the relocation as an emergency mechanism is now needed because the people are here we would like to take a step back and ask but looking at how undignified, treacherous and a route it has been across the sea, across the land, that actually that journey should never have taken place in the first place, and people should have been resettled or issued humanitarian visas so they could frankly fly from where they're coming from safely into the country and not go through this route.
5: Why is Europe so divided on this?
12: It is clear that there has been a lack of leadership, but if you look to the people of Europe, that's what struck us in Amnesty International. There have been thousands of people pouring out on the street across the continent over this weekend, calling on leaders to show the face of humanity, to show a human rights-based approach to give people dignity. However, there is a lack of political leadership and a lack of will at the highest level, unfortunately, to show a proactive approach. It is also, unfortunately, the case that politics is being put before people here. We're seeing um, very extreme governments using rhetoric that's xenophobic, anti-migrant, and that's also something that's obviously stalling an agreement that is more longer term and puts people first.
5: We've heard Germany um, in the past and even right now demanding help. Um, Do you think Germany is going to get the help that it needs?
12: Germany will have to get the help that it needs. It's quite simply not a a sustainable situation. But given, just going back to the point I was raising earlier, the reason that Germany now needs help is that uh, we've been allowed the system to develop, whereby people are not offered a safe route to Europe. They have to climb fences, risk their lives in an undignified way and eventually show up in Germany, if we actually looked at a a fair relocation system, so that takes into account the consent and needs of um, asylum seekers, and also coupled that with, remember, this is a global refugee crisis, not just a European one, so that we saw the increase in global resettlement efforts, this would mean that people do not have to have these undignified journeys, and, and not only Germany, but the other frontline member states, of course, such as Italy, Greece and Hungary um, that have faced higher numbers arriving at their borders would also be alleviated by that.
5: That brings us to the next issue, because you are saying that it's a global issue. Now, what can the international community do to assist Europe in this?
12: So it's clear there's a number of measures that we've taken. I already spoke about um, an increase in resettlement places, so it's obviously clear to understand that resettlement doesn't fall on Europe alone. And it's international uh, marks in particular that the Gulf states which would have a lot of cultural, religious, and linguistic ties uh, with many of the Syrian refugees, have offered absolutely no resettlement places. We'd also call on the United States and other wealthy, strong states, that they would increase um, their global resettlement efforts. On top of this, you can see that the UNHCR that's dealing with this, the global fund application, so the calls for funding on the various programs that they're running, is falling short. So there also needs to be a proper resourcing of those mechanisms and a global effort on resettlement across the board.
5: Now, the movement of people into Europe has been happening for quite a while now. Um, yes, it is the worst um, in recent times at the moment with people coming from Syria. But you've been seeing North African migrants or even East African migrants, people from Eritrea, Ethiopia, moving into Europe. Why is there panic only now? Why did, was this not seen as an emergency before?
12: It's a very poignant question. It's obviously been urgent for quite a long time. It's clear that the ongoing crisis, so when we look at Syria in particular, the fact that the... The civil war hasn't stopped. In fact, now more armed groups, ISIS, that's also pushing more and more people to be displaced out of the country. We're now facing just over 4 million um, Syrian refugees in the neighbouring countries of Syria alone. Uh, it's clear that the global crisis has reached boiling point. However, what's also clear is that had a more proactive, responsible human rights-based approach been adopted in Europe, then this um, amount level of crisis could have been alleviated.
5: Ivana McGowan is the acting director of Amnesty International's European Institutions Office on the line from Brussels earlier. And we were chatting about the migrant crisis or the refugee crisis that's currently happening in Europe. Your time is 1926 Central African time. Remember that you can find us on social media. We are on Twitter. At Channel Africa one Over there on email, we're on info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. You can give us feedback on any of our stories. Ethiopia has just ushered in a new year. It's 2008 over there. Every 12th of September, the country celebrates a new year according to its calendar that is unique only to Ethiopia. Here's Keleta Wanjohi.
10: The year is 2008 in Ethiopia. The country has just ushered in a new year. Ethiopia uses a different calendar from the rest of the world. It uses the Julian calendar that makes the 12th of September of every year the beginning of a new year. For many, especially the youth in the cities, celebrations began on the New Year's Eve, that is on 11th September, with many going to entertainment centers to wait for the clock to tick midnight. On the real New Year's Day, the streets of Addis Ababa were empty during most of the day. People were in their homes preparing food and relaxing. The worship centers, though, were full as early as 8 o'clock in the morning, for those who believe that the new year must start with spiritual blessings. Emmanuel Beliste is an Ethiopian citizen living in Addis Ababa and shares his
1: excitement. It's a year which we hope for a better opportunity, a better year ahead and I'm feeling very good about it. Yanit
10: Tekle, a businesswoman, is happy that she is alive to see another year.
11: Uh, It feels really nice. It's a new year, it's a brand new day. Everything is look, you
10: know, a new hope. The New Year in Ethiopia always comes right after the long rains of June to September and it is associated with small yellow flowers that appear after the rains. As such, in the decoration in different parts of the country, the color yellow is used in drawings of the yellow flowers to signify a new beginning. As we moved around Addis Ababa to see how people were preparing for the New Year celebrations, we came across a group of eight men in a garage. They had just slaughtered a cow and were busy sharing the meat into eight. Tedla Moges was one of the men and he said that this has been their tradition every year. He says that they buy the cow from the village areas outside Addis Ababa because it is cheaper there. For Tedla, this new year is the beginning of new plans.
4: Sir, so I have uh, I will do I will do it my plan because I have a plan. Uh, I don't know about others.
10: And for Yanit Tekle too, she hopes that she will be able to achieve her personal needs in this
11: year, 2008. Uh, Planning a lot. Planning to continue my study. And of course some business running. Uh, Every time we have a new plan when the new year is coming.
10: The new year in Ethiopia also marks the beginning of a new growth and transformation plan for the country that the government has announced with the aim to spur development further for the next five years. Celebrating the new year according to the Julian calendar puts Ethiopia seven years behind the rest of the world. To enjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. <laughs>
5: The world's leading experts in violence prevention are gathering in South Africa's mother city. And they are in Cape Town to share innovative ideas about how to end gender violence. The Fourth Sexual Violence Research Initiative Forum is reportedly the largest conference on violence against women and girls in the global south. Dr. Claudia Garcia Moreno is the leading specialist on gender, reproductive rights, sexual health and adolescence at the World Health Organization.
13: The World Health Organization, together with the Medical Research Council and the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, produced a report in 2013 that documented the very high rates that we find across the world of intimate partner violence as well as sexual violence. We found that globally one in three women experience one or other of these forms of violence in their lifetime. And of course we see that there is some variation within regions with some regions, the, the Africa region, the Middle Eastern region, and in South Asia having higher rates than other regions, but still wherever we look at the problem, it's extremely common, mm. very serious, and it has tremendous impacts on the health and the lives of women, their children, their families, and also a very high economic and social costs to societies and to nations.
8: Now tell us about some of the pressing um, issues around gender-based violence that um, delegates will be um, really getting into conversation around during this week.
13: Well, this meeting is very important because it brings together a very wide group of people, researchers, donors, activists, program planners, makers, really to look at what do we know, what new information and research results do we have that are telling us what works to prevent these kinds of violence, what kinds of services women who experience these forms of violence need, how do these programs work, and how can we scale them up? So how can we really pull all this information together, build collaborations across all these partners to help end this problem across the world?
8: Now, what key um, lessons have you learned over the years in terms of um, the area of sexual violence research? I mean, uh, what risks and uh, innovations um, are worth taking in this regard?
13: Well, this is a problem that is the result of uh, an interplay of many different factors. But, of course, a very big factor is the acceptability of these forms of violence in many societies. The norms that exist around men and women and how they should behave and what kind of behaviors are rewarded. And we see that globally addressing these norms around the acceptability of these forms of violence, is a critical thing on which we need to to act. It is a challenging issue, no doubt, but bringing attention to it, making it visible, is also a first step in getting policymakers and the general public to engage in transforming these notions of acceptability and you know, this is normal, this is something we have to live with.
8: What are you hoping will come out of this conference once it's concluded, um, when the week is done?
13: When we will hear about new approaches, new strategies, we have a very wide range of people looking at different issues, child abuse, for example, partner violence, sexual violence, problems of violence against sex workers, trafficking. So we have a very wide range of issues, and Looking really very concretely at what are the strategies that work to address these problems and to respond to these problems. we also see it as an opportunity to build collaborations for people to network with each other. is one of the most rewarding things of this meeting just uh, you know seeing people connect and several long-standing collaborations have emerged out of these these meetings. so It's very exciting. This is our largest meeting so far. It's bringing together more than 350 people from over 40 countries. So it is really a great opportunity to help uh, strengthen this work and build more strategies.
5: Dr. Claudia Garcia Moreno is the lead specialist on gender, reproductive rights, sexual health and adolescence at the World Health Organization and she was speaking to Zikona Miso. Thank you very much for staying with us. You're still listening to Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa with Ms. Pomela Lezondi with you until 20 hundred hours. A huge international study of global causes of death has revealed that since 1990 there's been a profound change in risk factors for death. The study was conducted by an international consortium of researchers, including those from the Institute for Health and Metrics Evaluation, IHME, at the University of Washington in Seattle. The researchers looked at 79 risk factors for death in 188 countries between 1990 and 2013. Dr. Tom Achoki is the Director of the African Initiatives at IHME, and he elaborates on this.
2: This is a uh, global effort which uh, gets uh, uh, data from uh, 188 countries and uh, involves more than 1,000 researchers spread across the world. And uh, we, coordinate this enterprise, are uh, getting all the, um, the data that is uh, uh, most available and use it uh, to really look in depth in terms of what is really responsible for the health laws in the different uh, um, Countries and also looking at the different disease conditions, and uh, this information is actually supposed to be a useful for decision makers in terms of finding cost-effective ways to deal with the kind of issues that are actually facing us. And uh, within African perspectives, this is also very useful. You look at it in terms of we are looking at the regional uh, variations and uh, country-level uh, analysis. Uh,
5: now let's talk about your core findings. What do you find there?
2: Uh, so one of the most interesting things is actually if you look at uh, the avoidable risk factor profile the different countries. Uh, with, with the world, you're seeing uh, things like uh, high blood pressure being an issue. Uh, you're also having an issue like uh, your um, the poor diet, which I think is something that is also being responsible for a, a significant amount of health loss. But then if you drill down to the African context, uh, there are a couple of uh, areas that are things like uh, undernutrition affecting the children. So you're having... Children having malnutrition, underweight uh, children being wasted, and also uh, within the young adults, and sex is uh, still an issue. Uh, thanks to HIV/AIDS, and uh, if you look at the corridor from Kenya down to South Africa, uh, that's quite a significant cause of health loss. And other aspects like um, uh, uh, pollution is also an issue. But uh, for the African perspective, uh, uh, specifically, I think uh, the unsafe sex, malnutrition, uh, and also Some of the issues like um, uh, the rising incidence of uh, high blood pressure, alcohol use, Uh, those are some of the things that I think uh, we need to start paying a lot of attention to uh, if we really need to stand the tide of... uh, 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 they do this across the, 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 the
5: countries. A lot of these are preventable diseases and internationally less people are dying from um, HIV and AIDS related illnesses nowadays but were you able to figure out why in Africa um, people are still dying from preventable causes of death?
2: Yes, yeah, so the, this is uh, something that actually uh, is a very interesting uh, uh, area that we need to start looking at paying attention to those, how we can be able to mitigate for those risks, uh, so, for instance, as you rightly say, uh, things like access to clean water uh, is, is an issue in a number of countries. you look at countries like Chad. We look at the countries in the um, southern Sudan. there's still a big burden of a uh, 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 cause of burden of disease? And also, as you rightly say, things like even within the non-communicable diseases. So, for instance, if you look at uh, Diets. Uh, there is an issue of being able to have uh, effective sensitization, effective uh, measures to um, uh, promote health lifestyles uh, for dealing with non-communicable diseases, which are becoming a big uh, uh, driver of, um, I mean, cause of, uh, in some countries in Africa. And I believe, as they as they continue rising, there's need for a policymakers to pay uh, strong attention to those those kind of
5: conditions. All right. Now, is there any potential to improve health in Africa?
2: Yes, definitely. There's been tremendous progress which has been made. Uh, Actually, if you look at this study, uh, it does show um, that there has been tremendous progress which has been made in a number of countries, especially even for things like HIV-AIDS, malaria, and uh, also uh, other conditions like uh, 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 malnutrition. Uh, But the thing is that these conditions are still an issue. So it's not that progress has not been made, but there is still a significant area that we need to pay attention to if we are to make if we are to sustain the gains and deal with the emerging problems. So it's like when you are driving, you don't want to get the uh, you are you you, are, you don't want to get off the pedals uh, as you are accelerating. So we need to really pay attention to those and continue the, the progress.
5: Dr Tom Machoke is the director of African initiatives at the Institute for Health and Metrics Evaluation. He joined me on the line earlier this evening. The World Social Science Forum is taking place at the Inkosi Albert Lutuli International Convention Centre in Durban, South Africa. The meeting has brought about experts from around the world to debate global social challenges. Imran Patel is the Deputy Director General at the South African Department of Science and Technology.
4: Yes, you know the key issues that we are facing as a country as part of the National Development Plan and globally, issues around poverty, inequality and unemployment. The World Social Science Forum is a way of getting the social scientists and humanities community to help us to think through these challenging problems and how we address them.
6: What has been found to be a common factor with regards to the experts that are meeting
1: now in Durban discussing these global social challenges?
4: Yes. A key issue that's very, very clearly coming up is that inequality is a global phenomena. It's not only uh, correctly the NDP identified inequality as one of our primary challenges, but if you look at global inequality, there's inequality within countries and there's inequality between countries, and what we need to be doing is understanding this. Part of this is that there's a lot of structural problems in the Global community, whether it's the way our economic systems are designed, whether it's our social systems that are designed, which is leading to increasing levels of inequality. Also, if we don't deal with inequality, it's not just a moral issue. If we don't deal with inequality, we're going to see a lot more social unrest, a lot more disenchantment and disillusionment amongst big sections of the community. We'll see continued racism coming through, etc. But we'll also see impacts on global growth and development that seems to be a kind of a key message that's coming from a number of the experts particularly the session that we just attended these things came up very very strongly
6: talking about the issue of inequality what has been found to be the cause of this inequality from a global perspective
4: so the experts would be able to speak to more to this, but there's many, many, many factors around this here. You know, and there's lots of debates, even among social scientists, around the causes of this. But clearly, part of the problem is that the way that the global economic system is being developing, whether it's about trade between poor countries and rich countries, or it's in terms of the fact that you're having a lot more kind of growth led by or global trade being directed by say manufactured products, etc. You know, these are some of the causes leading to global inequality, you know. Mm-hmm. Financialization of the global economy and too little emphasis on the real economy. You know, people are making money by speculating on stock markets, you know, making money because of financial flows, uh, currency manipulation, or currency variation. You know, so there's a whole range. It's not a like any of the key challenges we face, facing, whether it's climate change or poverty, the reasons are not a single one. They're always multidimensional. And in addition to being multidimensional, there's a lot of debate about how important are some factors around it. So what the researchers have done is to try to put the evidence on the table. And different people will read the evidence differently. So I have my own views and would read the evidence in one way, others would read the evidence in a different way, but that's the reason for the World Social Science Forum is for people to debate the evidence and how people are are interpreting the evidence. But there's many, many reasons, and the sessions we're still attending, you know, people are putting in different factors, like the fact that there's a lot of people excluded, like... Women or girl learners, you know, that's part of the contribution around inequality. You have infrastructure problems, like our minister said yesterday. Education is not free and compulsory in, in, in a lot of countries, which means that people then get into a poverty cycle and there's further entrenched inequality.
5: Imran Patel is the Deputy Director General of the South African Department of Science and Technology. And he was in conversation with Wandi Lekalipa over there. It's time for your economic news here on NLNTNT
10: channel africa blanta
1: this is lansana Fofana reporting for channel africa from freetown
6: reporting for channel africa in harare zimbabwe this is simon muchemwa
7: reporting for channel africa this is moki kinzaka in Yawundi.
1: From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. <laughs>
11: in world about Africa. Reporting for Channel Africa,
6: Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi.
1: Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
5: would like to get to know you our listener so we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station is it via shortwave internet or satellite and what do you enjoy listening to you can sms us at plus plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us it's at info at channelafrica.org you can also tell us via facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa numerical one or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park Johannesburg 2006 Republic of South Africa we look forward to hearing from you Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance
10: Channel
1: Africa, Blanter
9: This is Lansana Fofana, reporting for Channel Africa from
6: Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon
7: Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In
1: From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about
11: Africa. <speaking in foreign language>
1: Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
0: Thank you, Spoo. (laughs) Looking at your economics news update... The African Development Bank is hosting the co-organizing a series of events, including unlocking the continent's huge energy potential. Energy Week will launch a dialogue with key stakeholders to set up the new deal on energy for Africa that will accelerate energy supply and access across the continent. Since taking office on September 1st, the president of the African Development Bank, Akinumi Adesina, has reaffirmed the position of energy among key priorities for the IAF-DB. United Nations Under-Secretary-General for Economic and Social Affairs Wu Hongbo says the ambitious global plan to better fulfill the needs for humanity while protecting the planet can be achieved within 15 years. Hongbo says he's confident the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs can be reached by the 2030 target date or 193 countries that make up the UN are expected to adopt the anti-poverty measures at a summit in New York later this month. Hongbo elaborates on the impact of the SDGs on the United Nations' work.
1: I, I think that uh, once the agenda is implemented in the next 15 years, it will have a profound impact on the specific operation of the United Nations and its system. And first, the goals and targets are really integrated and the cross-cutting. So that calls for the United Nations and the system funds and programs to work together. And secondly, we, we need to help the member states at the national level how to streamline the relevant goals and targets into the national strategic plans.
0: Mozambique is in the bottom category for transparency when it comes to its national budget. This is according to the International Budget Partnership Open Budget Survey 2015, which measures budget transparencies and accountability around the world. The survey was done by the help of the country's human rights organization, the Center for Public Integrity. Its country is given a score of out of 100, which determines its ranking on the Open Budget Index. Mozambique scored 38 out of hundred, which is moderately lower than the global average score of forty-five. George Martini is one of the researchers of the CIP.
2: Right now, we the we, we last report we scored eight, so we lost almost uh, um, ten points, nine points, which is not good for our efforts that have been done in the country for more transparency on the on the uh, government uh, business. So the, 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 the result shows that we, the government provides to the public with minimal budget information. So we are saying that there is a lot of uh, effort that's been done the last years, but it's not consistent. And the information which is available is not on time. So that's why Mozambique lost most of the points on and transparency.
0: Angola has further devalued its currency to 135.374 to the U.S. dollar from the previous 130.442. The Central Bank is reporting that Angola, Africa's second largest crude producer, has been hit hard by a sharp fall in oil prices. Currencies across Africa have been hammered by a broad-based slump in commodity prices. The black market rate for the Angolan Kwanzaa is much lower at around 240 to the dollar. And finally, Free State Agriculture FSA in South Africa has proposed a wage increase for farm workers in line with inflation rate for the next three years. During the Department of Labor public hearing presentations in the province last week, FSA stated that drought as well as high production costs in the sector have been detrimental to the sector. The new wages for farm workers will come into effect the end of February next year. Free State Agriculture CEO, Hank Vermeulen.
4: Currently, the whole process where affordability has been taken and what the cost of living is, given the fact that agriculture's profit margin are going down every time, to make a determination between this, the gap is widening all the way around. And whatever decision you make, and the Minister will make, is currently in that process getting to a situation where you will find that it's a a win-lose situation.
0: Now looking at your financial indicators the US dollar is trading at 13.51 South African rands at 10.29 Botswana pula's and at 9.75 Zambian kwacha. It is also trading at 0.88 to the euro and at 0.64 to the British pound and in your commodities gold is trading at $1109 platinum at $968 an ounce and the price of Brent crude oil is quoted at $47.67 a barrel. Channel African news I am on
11: Good evening sports fans, I am Hosiwudi Makura with the latest sports news at the Sawa. Starting off with football news, the South African under-23 national football team has been placed in Group A of the CAF under-23 championships along with hosts Senegal, Zambia and Tunisia following a draw that was conducted in Cairo earlier this morning. Teams placed in Group A will play their group stage matches at the 60,000 capacity Stadia Lopled, Seda Senogo will be of Egypt, Algeria, Mali and Nigeria and their matches will be played at the Stadia Caroline in Mabo. The final tournament takes place from the 28th of November to the 12th of December with the three teams booking the Olympic places to represent the African continent at next year's Olympics. Meanwhile, South Africa's senior women's team Bayana Bayana have been knocked out of the All-Africa Games in Brazzaville, Congo, after the drawing of lots that saw Ghana progress instead of them. Bayana Bayana and Ghana finished joint second place in Group B following their two games, which both sides ending up with the same points, the same goal difference, goals scored, as well as the goals conceded. In order to decide who would join group winners Cameroon into the semi-finals, there was a drawing of lots that took place earlier this morning, with Ghana going through to face Côte d'Ivoire in the semifinals. Former SAFI Acting Technical Director Fran Hilton-Smith says it's unfortunate to see Banyana Banyana bar out of the competition like this. Well, of course, it's very disappointing
13: to lose uh, on a draw lot, As you say, um, Egypt not pitching up for the tournament really impacted our group. But uh, back to the drawing board, and obviously we need to look at how to Uh, possibly improve, trying to score more goals uh, going forward. Uh, Some of our top players weren't there. For instance, Jermaine, who is one of the top goal
4: scorers,
11: On to Tennis News, South Africa's top-ranked wheelchair tennis stars, Khotazo Monjana, as well as Evans Mariba, have arrived in France for the Total Open International and International Tennis Federation Level 1 tournament, getting underway on Tuesday. Wheelchair Tennis South Africa's general manager, Karen Lodge, says the two have prepared well for the upcoming event.
13: Both KG and Evans have been training really hard um, throughout September. They spent a very busy month on tour in August. Uh, where KG played in the the Belgian Open and she won the doubles title and Evans the doubles title um, in Italy.
11: And finally in rugby news, the 7 or other Kenya 7 aside national team now under a new head coach has already entered camp to prepare for the Olympic qualifiers that are just around the corner. The new head coach Benjamin Ayimba who was appointed last week Friday started by leading practice sessions in camp as he ponders what it takes to qualify for the global championships.
9: I think we've not been able to manage the backroom very well there.
1: The, the players' welfare uh, has not been handled the way it ought to be. Uh, not necessarily because there's been no resource, but maybe there's been too much resource. It's not been able to be managed well. Um, technically, I don't think we have a real, a real
11: problem. Well, those are your sports news at the summer, Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Africa Digest.
5: Let's talk about top stories. Zimbabwe political landscape experiences a shift in preparation for next elections. EU interior ministers meeting in Belgium. In economics, the African Development Bank hosts a series of events around unlocking the continent's energy potential. In sports, all Africa Games renamed Africa Games. That wraps up Africa Digest for today. From myself, Spumela producer Luanda my technical producer Adrian Kenny, and the rest of the team. Thanks for listening. Send us emails info at channelafrica.co.za or SMSs plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Tweets can go to channelafrica one. We leave you with Mayine by Simpiwetana.